Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, and whether you call Collective your church home or you are just checking us out, we hope you are encouraged and inspired to take the next step in your journey toward the grace and truth of Jesus. For more information about Collective, you can visit us online at mycollective.church or follow us on social media at mycollectivechurch. Now, let's get into today's message. Before we start today, I want to talk one more time about Christmas Eve. And so you might have heard this, but this year we're hosting three Christmas Eve services. Christmas Eve Eve, which is December 23rd at 5 p.m. And Christmas Eve, December 24th at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. Now, we will not be having church next Sunday, December 22nd. Please do not show up here next Sunday. Please do not show up here next Sunday. And you guys are like, I've heard this before. It's because some of you will show up. So please do not show up here next Sunday. Uh, We're not doing that. We'll do the 23rd and 24th instead. Leading up to Christmas, we've been encouraging and challenging you to not just attend, but invite. Because there are people in your life that need to experience the hope that Jesus has to offer. And Christmas is truly the best time to invite people to church with you. 82% of people said they would come to church if they were invited by a trusted friend. But the truth is we know that only 2% of Christians will actually invite someone to church during this holiday season. So we want you all to have the courage and invite people you know to come for Christmas Eve. But instead of just telling you that you should do it, I want to give you some tools to teach you how you can do this. So one of the questions I often get is, how do I figure out who I should invite to church? And it's a great question. There are people in your life that you know already, like the answer is no, right? You've asked them before. They've been pretty aggressive with you. You probably shouldn't invite those people. The second thing is you have friends that go to other churches. Don't invite them, right? They've got a church that they go to. They need to be inviting people to their own church, right? So you don't want to steal them. That's not what we do. But there are people in your life that are more open, that are more willing. They're asking you right now, what are you doing? Right? They're seeing you share things or talk about things and they're wondering what kind of church is that. But there are three things that I always encourage people to look for when it comes to inviting somebody to check out church with them. And the baseline for these three things is that you actually know these people, right? You at least have a little bit of a relationship with them. You talk with these people. Uh, you know, you have uh, interactions with them on a regular basis because you wouldn't really walk up to a stranger and say these things because that's just super weird. But these are three things that you you can look for that allows you to know that maybe they would be open for an invitation to church. The three things are this. Things are not going well. I was not prepared for, or I'm not from here. There are people in your life that need community. There are people in your life that need hope. There are people in your life that need what Jesus can offer. And so these are people in your life that might be willing to give church a shot because life is hard, And they're willing to see maybe Jesus is the answer. Another question I get is how do I invite people to church, right? Because we all know somebody that we we want to invite or we feel that burden. We all know somebody, but how do we do it? Inviting someone to church feels a lot like being a middle schooler asking someone if you can eat at their lunch table, right? Or it's like a high schooler asking a girl to prom. It's awkward. And so we want to make this easier for you. Last Easter, when encouraging you all to invite people to Collective, we gave every single person an invite card and attached to it was a Starbucks gift card. And so we did the exact same thing today. When you came in, you saw it. Some of you are already thinking, I know what I'm getting at Starbucks. These aren't for you, okay? Right? So uh, the goal is that every single seat when you came in, there's an invite card and a $5 gift card to Starbucks so that you have an easier way of inviting someone to come check out church. 
right? So what, what we want you to do is grab that, buy someone coffee, give someone the gift card and say, hey, you should come and see. You should come to Christmas Eve with me. Because the truth is life is hard and we need caffeine. And so it's one of the best ways that we can get an opportunity to talk to somebody about Jesus. And the reason why we're doing this again, we did it last Easter and we're doing this again, is because so many of you took a risk last spring and you invited people to come and see, to come and see what grace looks like, to come and see what hope looks like, to come and see what authentic community looks like. And I heard the best stories. Someone grabbed multiple invite cards and dropped them off at Rockwell Brewery to say thank you to the bartenders that are there and invite them to church. A few of us have the same barber. We didn't actually know that we all had the same barber, but we all invited him. So he was like getting all these Starbucks gift cards. But he and his family actually showed up. I heard a story about someone who used the gift card to buy coffee for a stranger at Starbucks. And when they asked how could they repay them, they invited them to collective. People invited neighbors and friends and coffee-addicted coworkers. And listen, not everyone who got invited came to church, and that's okay. Because there are a group of people in Frederick who moved a little bit closer to experiencing the freedom that Jesus offers, even if they said no. And so there's one on each seat, but if you have multiple people you want to invite and you think some Starbucks will help, come find me after service. We have plenty of extra cards that you can take with you. But if you have no intention of inviting, please don't take the card. That's messed up. Jesus is watching you. Don't ruin his birthday, okay? (laughs) But what we understand is that inviting people to church takes courage, right? It takes faith. It takes realizing that they might say no, but that's okay. And so we want to try and make Christmas a little bit easier for you, an invitation a little bit easier for you, because we want people to know that Collective is a church full of messy and broken people who need Jesus. And we want our messy and broken friends, coworkers, neighbors, and family to join us. This fall, we did a series on our core values as a church, and one of them is come and see. The idea that as a church, we want to invite people to Collective so that they can come and see what Jesus can do in their lives. And the week that we talked about it, that week in our collectives, we discussed this idea of invitation. And this is what one of my friends shared. She said that she prays all the time that someone would invite her sister to church. She's invited her, but she prays daily that a friend, a coworker, or a neighbor will have the courage to also do it. Because she knows that if just one person would ask, her sister would say yes. And so the truth is sometimes people are praying that we can be that one person. Right? We just have, have to have the courage to say, will you come with me this week to Christmas Eve at Collective? I'll save you a seat. I'll meet you there. I'll pick you up. We can grab Starbucks on the way. Come and see. Now, in thinking about Christmas, some of you are super excited. Right? You started listening to Christmas music before Thanksgiving, and you don't care who knows it. Right? Your TV only plays Hallmark Christmas movies because you're a sucker for a story about a big city lawyer, a writer, a baker, or a former athlete who returns home to their small town for Christmas to inherit something, stop a corporate closure, save the family business, or collect the pieces of their life after a tragically, and they magically, magically fall in love with the sensitive guy in plaid, with an old flame, with some guy and his dog, or with a guy she never noticed In high school and Christmas, the town, love is saved forever. You think Christmas is the best, you won't stop watching it. It is all the same plot, people, okay? Every Hallmark movie, but you love it. But for those of you experiencing drama of any kind, relational tension of any kind, setbacks, financial problems, you cannot wait for Christmas to be over because Christmas seems to make your burdens heavier. 
Right now, we're in this sermon series called This Christmas that's all about letting go of some of those burdens, letting go of the burden of stuff, of feeling like you have to buy more and more and more just to have a happy Christmas, letting go of distractions, spending less time shoving things into our calendars and spending more time doing what matters with the people who matter the most. And today we're talking about the burden that often feels the heaviest during Christmas because it's often tied to pain, to broken relationships, to people. Today we're talking about letting go of bitterness. Now, if you're like me, as soon as you hear that, you think, I'm not a bitter person. But here's how you know you struggle with bitterness. You think... I'm not a bitter person, but I know who is. Or you're thinking, how can I make sure that my dad, aunt, sister, neighbor, coworkers hear this sermon? Or like the bumper video, you spend way too much time trying to get your family to look happy and perfect and like you weren't just fighting for 30 minutes before taking the family picture together. Also, you can send out your Christmas cards with the hopes that you know who will see just how wonderful your life is, how beautiful your family is, how happy everyone is. And deep down inside, you hope that when they open the Christmas card, they weep openly because of how amazing your life is and how miserable theirs is. Now, if that is you, you struggle with bitterness. So what I want you to do is I want you to grab a pen and the program that was on your seat when you came in or grab your phone because I want you to take notes because the truth is whether you think you struggle with bitterness, you do, right? And that became incredibly evident to me this week as I was writing this sermon and thinking, how do I teach other people about bitterness while also realizing that I have some deep-rooted bitterness in my own heart. And so the truth is, I need to let go. And so I'm assuming that you need to let go as well. Here's what the Bible teaches about bitterness. Hebrews 12, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Now, when the author writes everyone, he doesn't actually mean everyone, right? Like he doesn't mean the family member who always comments about your weight during the holidays. He doesn't mean the ex-husband who puts himself first and your kids second. He doesn't mean the boss that's looked over you for the promotion again. He doesn't mean the girl that used to be your friend, but then she got a boyfriend and now you're no longer friends anymore, right? Like, you know that I'm kidding. The author is talking exactly about those people, right? The author is talking about the people in your life that take a little bit more effort to live at peace with than others, Right? The author's not trying to warn us about the people that we love spending time with. It's about the people that we struggle with. And the author says, we're to live at peace with everyone. But the truth is, he could add, especially the people who are difficult. The author continues, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Maya Angelou compared bitterness to cancer, saying that it feeds upon the host. Bitterness poisons hearts. Bitterness destroys relationships. Bitterness grows. And oftentimes the truth is it grows out of something really small. You have a friend on Instagram and you always like their post. You always comment on their posts. And then one one day you realize they're not liking your stuff anymore, right? They're not commenting on your stuff anymore. So you go to their actual profile and you notice that they unfriended you, right? And a small offense can grow into deeply rooted bitterness, Or you text your friend and they don't text you back. But you saw when the text went through, that little dot, dot, dot popped up and then went away, right? Instead of thinking that maybe they're busy, you begin to think that the dot, dot, dot is Morse code for I hate you. And a small offense can grow into deeply rooted bitterness. It could be at Christmas. You have that one family member who always shows up at the family Christmas. 
And every year you get them a gift because you don't want them to feel left out, but not one time, not one time have they ever given a gift. And they just show up and they take and take and take, and then they leave. A small offense can grow into deeply rooted bitterness, but it could also be something real and more significant. Someone that you love lies to you, deceives you, or talks bad about you behind your back. It's the relative that's always critical of you, everything you do, the way you raise your kids, the way you spend your money, and you just get sick and tired of the criticism. It could be the person that takes advantage of you, misleads you, betrays you, and these offenses grow into deeply rooted bitterness. And so this Christmas, we need to work on letting go of bitterness. And in order to do that, we have to recognize that we can't control what people do, but we can control how we respond. Right? You can't control what people think about you, what they say about you, what, what they do to you. But you can control how you respond. And so we're going to talk about bitterness, why it's such a problem, and how we can begin to let it go. The first problem with bitterness is that bitterness takes root. One of my friends says it like this, bitterness is insidious. It grows unknowingly beneath the surface and has dangerous effects. Let's go back to Hebrews. It says this, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble. Two years ago, uh, Ray and I became homeowners for the first time. And when we moved in, we immediately had this list of things that we wanted to do. And if you own a home, you know, it's like before you even move in, you're like, I hate that. I'm going to change that. I'm going to make this look like Joanna, Joanna Gaines all day long. But one of my top priorities was to remove these two eight-foot-tall, evergreenest type trees that are right outside of our front door. I hate them. They're incredibly ugly. They block our view, and they seem to be the home for millions of spiders. And so last summer, I was throwing the trash out, and for some reason, I just particularly hated the trees that day. So I decided that I was just going to rip them out of the ground by myself. And I figured, how hard could it be? They're just eight feet tall. So I grabbed the trunk of the tree, and I started to pull as hard as I could, but nothing happened. And so I tried again, pulled a little bit harder, nothing happened. And then I did, and you've done this before if you have trees that you don't want in your yard. I started to do that thing where you grab it, and you shake it back and forth as hard as you can. But the truth is, the bottom where the tree is rooted, the dirt didn't move at all. We still have two eight-foot-tall evergreenish trees outside of our doors. And the author of Hebrews says, see to it that no bitter root grows up. Because what you cannot see is slowly underneath the surface of your soul growing deeper and deeper and deeper and stronger and stronger and stronger. And so we need to make sure that it doesn't grow up to cause trouble. Many of you have experienced hurt and disappointment and letdown and lies. And you may not even know it, but that pain, those offenses have taken root and your bitterness is growing deeper and deeper and stronger and stronger. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, love keeps no records of being wronged. This is one of the ways you know that your bitterness has taken root. Love keeps no record of wrongs, but bitterness keeps a detailed record of wrongs. He hurt me. She misled me. They lied to me. They let me down. Bitterness takes root. And the longer you allow it to live, the deeper it grows and the harder it's going to be to get rid of it. And so bitterness takes root. And the second thing is that bitterness hurts everyone. Let's read Hebrews 12 again. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Not just you, but many. Bitterness doesn't just cause trouble in your own life, but in the lives of those around you. 
And so one of the questions you have to ask yourself is, is my crew bitter? Are my friends bitter? Are my coworkers bitter? Bitterness has a corrupting influence on others. The effects cannot be localized. When you feel an offense, the truth is you cannot hold it in. It's not just for you. You end up bringing that out to other people and bitterness progresses and spreads. A man pollutes his wife, she pollutes her children and bitterness spreads to the whole family. And so it's fair to ask the question, is your dating relationship or marriage marked by bitterness? Do you and your friends tend to sit, a lot, sit around and gripe a lot? Do you and your coworkers feed on each other's offenses? If so, beware. Bitterness can affect a whole family, a circle of friends, or a whole church. And you know this. Some of you have experienced this. One bitter person can divide a family. One bitter person can make a workplace utterly miserable. One bitter person can drive a marriage into the ground. When it comes to bitterness, the struggle is real because bitterness is one of the hardest sins to see in the mirror because we feel justified. I feel the way I feel because of what they did. And bitterness quickly becomes a piece of our identity. It becomes comfortable, right? You've become so accustomed to living with bitterness day in and day out, you wouldn't even know what life would be like without it, without a grudge, without a vendetta, without feelings towards someone that looked like hatred. If we're not careful, some of us will come into a room like this and celebrate the love of Jesus while hating someone else in our hearts simultaneously. And the truth is, that's just not possible, right? Especially if you follow Jesus. First John 4 says this, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? Christians, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have truly experienced the love of God, you can't also hate your brother. If we're not careful, some of us will freely receive the forgiveness of God, but withhold it from someone else. It could be a boss that doesn't appreciate you, a spouse that doesn't lift a finger at home, an ex who broke your heart. So we need to acknowledge our bitterness and the problems it causes in our life, but also in the lives of people around us. Because the truth is we cannot heal that which we're unwilling to first acknowledge. But once we do that, once we recognize that we have bitterness in our heart, and when I said in the beginning, you might have bitterness, a lot of you are like, I don't. The truth is you probably do. Once you acknowledge it, then we can begin to let it go. And here's how we do that in Ephesians 4. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. So the first way you begin to let go of bitterness is to be kind and com compassionate. So you remove bitterness through kindness and compassion. And I know that there's tension growing in some of you today because you recognize that there's an offense that you've carried for a really long time. And the truth is you feel justified carrying it. But in order to remove that bitterness from your life, you have to operate in kindness and compassion, even toward the people that hurt you. And I know that sucks. I know that you don't want to hear that, but to be honest, this is a tension in following Jesus because Jesus often teaches the opposite of our human nature. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5. You've heard, that, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. And so Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. 
He later goes on to teach that if someone strikes you, you turn the other cheek, that if you wanna be great, you need to be servant of all. So you remove bitterness through kindness and compassion. And I'm not saying that this is easy. I'm just saying that if you wanna remove bitterness from your life, this is how you do it. And the truth is praying for someone else might not change them, right? Some of you have been praying for people for a very, very, very long time. But when you pray for someone else, when you wish that good things would happen to them, even though they hurt you, that will always change you. So you pray for people, you love them, you serve them. It's about kindness and compassion. The second way to remove bitterness from your life is by offering forgiveness. So you remove bitterness by offering forgiveness. And I know, I know that you're listening to this and thinking you have no idea what they did and you're right. I don't, but God does. And Paul writes in Ephesians to get rid of all of this bitterness that we have in our life, we need to forgive each other. We need to offer forgiveness. But the struggle is how do we do that? Right, like oftentimes we ask God, God, show me what that forgiveness looks like. How do I forgive someone who's hurt me? Colossians 3 says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. The word forgiveness means to release, to let go. It was originally a financial term tied to releasing people from their debt. And so we're called to forgive just as Jesus has forgiven us to release people in the same way that Jesus has released the debt in our own lives that our sin creates. And the good news with this is you're not generating something, right? You're not even setting the example of this thing. You're just passing along something that you've already seen, already been offered, already received. And there's a big difference. You do not have to drum this up on your own. We have the example of what it looks like. So how did Jesus forgive you? Immediately unwaveringly, generously, unconditionally. You see, we all sin. Every single one of us, we walk out of the alignment with what God wants for our lives. We lie, we cheat, we're unfaithful, we hurt other people, we turn our backs on God. And if anyone has the right to be bitter, it would be God. It'd be the creator of the universe. It would be our heavenly father who truly wants what's best for us and gave us the tools to live freely and lightly through the Bible. But then what we do is we ignore what the Bible teaches. We turn our back on God. We act like we know best. And so if anyone should be bitter or offended, it's God. But that is not how he responds to our sin and our brokenness. Instead of choosing bitterness, he chose to send his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die on a cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be released from our sin. Because the truth is God cares way less about himself and way more about us. Instead of being bitter, God gives us forgiveness. God gives us grace. God gives us endless second chances. God gives us freedom. And I know, I know that some of you struggle with this. If you grew up in a church that focused on everything you ever did wrong, and every time you disobeyed God or your priest or your parents, you were told that you were going to hell, it's really hard to embrace the idea that God isn't actually mad at you. He doesn't hate you. There is no bitterness that forgiveness is available, that you just have to say yes to his kindness, to his compassion, and to his love. And the way that you do that and the way that we celebrate that at Collective is through baptism. During this service at the very end, Lauren is getting baptized today. And she's saying yes to forgiveness. She's saying yes to grace. She's saying yes to the life that Jesus has to offer. It isn't that Lauren is perfect. 
It isn't that she has it all figured out. It's that she realizes that she is broken, but Jesus still loves her anyways. Jesus doesn't hold it against her. And right now, there are a bunch of you that are really struggling with this idea of forgiveness. And that probably has less to do with what that person did to you and more to do with the fact that you don't think you can be forgiven for what you have done in the past. But the good news is that isn't up to you. Romans 5 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. If anyone could have been bitter, it's God. If anyone could have withheld forgiveness, it's God. But even in our sin, in our lowest moments, in the rock bottom place of our life, when we're doing our deepest, darkest, most despicable thing we've ever done, Jesus died to set us free. So the truth is some of you need to start by saying yes to that. You can't remove bitterness from your life if you can't forgive. And you can't forgive when you've never been forgiven. Because the truth is you don't know what that looks like. You don't know what that feels like. You don't know how to offer someone else freedom when you haven't chosen it for yourself. So for some of you, the truth is that is your first step to turn away from the sin, turn away from the life that you're living and put your faith in Jesus to be baptized. This is why we celebrate this more than anything else that we do because it's people saying, I'm saying yes to that forgiveness. And then hopefully we have the opportunity to offer that to other people. That's why we say almost every single week at this church, if you're ready to take that step, you check off baptism on the connection card because we want to talk to you about that. Because there's so many other things that you can't let go of in your life until you allow God in. But that's the forgiveness that we're called to give people. That's how we remove bitterness from our lives. We show kindness and compassion. We offer forgiveness. In October, a video went viral after a court case involving a police officer who killed a young black man in his own home. And during the sentencing, and many of you have seen this video, Botham Jean's brother was given the opportunity to speak. His brother is 18 years old, his name is Brant, and this is what he said. I don't want to say twice or for the hundredth time what you've, or how much you've taken from us. I think you know that, but I just, I hope you go to God with all what, all the guilt, all the, thing, the bad things you may have done in the past. Each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do. If you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. 
I want the best for you because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. As this video made rounds on the internet, the reception was vast, but here's what I want to point out. This 18-year-old kid who just experienced a ton of tragedy in his own life, he did two things. He showed kindness and compassion. He offered forgiveness. Brant made a decision to not be bitter. A very public, a very difficult, a very heartfelt decision to not be bitter. To not allow the pain he was feeling to take root in his life and dictate his future to not allow his pain to hurt other people. And so he made a choice to remove bitterness from his life. And he did that through Jesus' lead. He didn't have to figure that out on his own. He didn't have to create that on his own. He has experienced it in his own life, and he offered it to someone that a lot of us would say probably didn't deserve it, 18 years old. A few months later, Brant was given the Ethical Courage Award and through his platform, he's been able to have open and honest conversations with law enforcement in regard to racial tensions and his perspective as a young black man. But here's what he said when he accepted that award. After being found guilty by a jury of her peers sentenced under the law, Miss Geiger needed to be forgiven, and I needed to be free from the burden of unforgiveness. This Christmas... Take a step toward freedom by letting go of bitterness. Bitterness toward your family, bitterness toward your friends, bitterness toward your coworkers. And remember, we're talking about letting go, not let go, because this is a process. But if you take one small step today, and then another step, and another step, and another step, one day you will wake up and that bitterness will be gone. It will be released. And what happened will no longer be an emotion that dictates how you live, how you see other people, how you interact with other people, how you go about your life, but it will only be a part of a history that you no longer have to hold on to. And the best news of all, as hard as this is, is you do not have to create this on your own because of the example that Jesus set, because of the forgiveness that's daily being offered us, because of the freedom that we get to experience from the fact that we know that as broken and messed up as we are, God holds no bitterness towards us, but truly wants to show us kindness and compassion and forgiveness because he loves us. And we take that into the world. We take that to the people who have hurt us and let us down. And that is how we remove bitterness. Let's pray. God, I know um, that I struggle with bitterness. <laughs> Um, God, there are people in my life that have hurt me, said things about me. There are people in my life that are just waiting for 
them to realize it, um, to send that email apologizing. God, the reality is I know that it's not going to happen. Instead of moving on, I hold it deep in my heart, and it impacts the way that I raise my kids. It impacts my friendships. It impacts uh, how I meet new people. God, the truth is there's this bitterness that's been growing in my life that I thought wasn't that big of a deal, but I'm seeing it play out in everything. So God, I just pray this week that people who feel the way that I do, who are struggling with this idea of bitterness, that this week they move a little bit closer to letting it go by focusing on your kindness, your compassion, and your forgiveness. God, that when we focus on the forgiveness that you offered us, God, that when we feel that this week, when we read about that this week, when we know that this week, God, that we don't just hold on to it and hoard it for ourselves, but God, that we somehow figure out how to bring that into the relationships that we have. God, bitterness is impacting so much of our lives. God, there's so much that we're not experiencing. There's so much freedom you have to offer, but we're holding on to these things that hurt us because we're refusing to let them go. God, I just pray this week that we can focus on letting them go, moving a little bit closer to that freedom. God, ultimately moving a little bit closer to you as we begin to understand your forgiveness a little bit more. And God, you offer us this grace and this love and these endless second chances. God, the truth is we don't deserve it, but there are people in our life that don't deserve forgiveness that we're called to offer as well. God, help us do that. God, help us move closer to you this week so that we can begin to remove those roots from our lives. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.